<laughs> what's happening, weirdos? Larry King. That's that's what's happening. I'm actually sitting in my trailer on uh, McDougal Street here in the West Village. We're shooting season three of the cra- of, of the Crashing. I call it the Crashing, which is how it's released in uh, some Asian markets. Uh, of Crashing, which is super super exciting. And I'm uh, I'm still getting a lot of tweets. People wondering if this podcast has gone away. Um, absolutely not. Um, it's just so so much to be filming and writing and producing and acting and all these things that uh, we're just doing once a month for uh, the summer. So this is an episode that we recorded a little while back um, with Larry King. It's a little bit shorter because he's such a busy man, but he's so good at interviewing, and it turns out he's also excellent, excellent at being interviewed. So we crammed two hours into one hour, and I I really enjoyed it. Um, So let's, as I always say, get to it as quickly as possible. Um, I am happy to say we have a new Pete's pick. Why? Because I was tired of uh, my my terrible underwear. <laughs> Is that weird to say? I was tired of terrible underwear, and I had heard about me undies on several friends' podcasts. So I decided to bite the bullet, and I did a complete underwear overhaul. This is completely real. This is why it's a Pete's pick. I was like, I need new undies. I'm going with me undies, and I just on faith because everybody said they were so great, bought uh, like forty pairs. And now it's all I wear. And that's why I'm telling you about it. They're the most comfortable underwear I've worn. They're funky, fun, and fresh. (laughs) You know, the designs put me in a good mood. Uh, They're colorful. If you want those, you can just get regular black or white or whatever. But I get get the funky ones, and those are super fun. They're made from, uh, make sure I get this right, they're made from uh, sustainably, excuse me, sustainably sourced beechwood trees, which is a naturally soft fiber that makes a fabric that won't sag down or ride up. Trust me, if you're like me, once you put on a pair, you'll get it. You just buy a bunch. And you open it up, it's so cool. You get the size, then there's like one trial pair that you try on. So if you want to return them, it's no problem. They'll make sure you get the perfect pair, not just something that's good enough. Uh, They give me a couple things to mention here. They're so sure that you're going to love your first pair, that if you're not happy, they'll do whatever they can to get you into the right pair. And if they can't, keep them. And they'll refund you. It's risk-free. It's risk-free. But the reason I was like, I reached out to this company. I was like, I love this underwear. I want to pass along a promo code to the listeners because I only want to do endorsements of products, Pete's Picks, that I actually love. And they said, absolutely. So here's what they're going to do. MeUndies has a deal for weirdos. First-time purchases get 15% off their first pair of MeUndies and free shipping. That's 15% off and free shipping and a guarantee that you'll love your MeUndies and you guys will be very happy together. So get your butt. That's about to be happier. Oh, I got some for Val, too. Completely real. We're a MeUndies family. Uh, go to MeUndies.com and treat yourself for 15% off and free shipping. 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to MeUndies.com slash weird. That's MeUndies.com slash weird. And thank you for that. That's exciting. Uh, speaking of Pete's Picks, I am swearing by Alpha Brain these days. We are writing and shooting and improvising so, so, so much. My brain is working overtime. Listeners of this podcast know that Alpha Brain is a nootropic made by the wonderful people at Onnit, and it is like a multivitamin just for your brain. It's earth grown ingredients, earth grown botanicals that your brain just eats up and uses as fuel for memory concentration, focus, recall, 
all the things that I need when I'm podcasting, doing stand-ups, stand-ups, writing scripts, or acting, especially when I'm improvising. I always, 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 um, my makeup person, my assistant, everybody on set always has some alpha brain on them because I never know when I might need it. I always take two in the morning, then I keep some of the powder, which is amazing, on me uh, that you add to drinks, and it's delicious and wonderful. I swear by it. I tell everybody about it, um, not just on this podcast, but I am here telling you about it. If you want to try it, I think you'll love it. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you will get 10% off your purchase of any of the products you see on that page. Uh, there's the Alpha Brain, there's the MCT Oil. Honest, just a wonderful company. They have a lot of wonderful products to check out. The other Pete's pick that I swear by, as you know, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. I'm taking this constantly on set two. It's made from the hemp plant. It doesn't get you stoned. It doesn't take you out of the game. You won't wake up at a fish concert. It's not like that. It's legal in all 50 states. It's something that, it's hard to describe. That's why I want you to try it. It sort of rounds the edges it makes me a little quicker to smile, a little quicker to laugh, not take myself so seriously. It's wonderful for stress. It's wonderful for anxiety. It's wonderful. It's As you know, I haven't been drinking. It's a wonderful way to sort of ease off the tension of the day at the end of the day. Sometimes I take it in the morning just to kind of have a little skip and step. Uh, as, it's the same with Alpha Brain. I always have people on set have it in their bag for me. I, I say, please, can I have my, my happy juice? Because that's what it is. Obviously, this is anecdotal for me. I want you to try it. But for me, wonderful for travel, wonderful for any time that I'm working really hard, but I'm still able to think clearly, maybe even more clearly, focus, concentrate, and still feel a little bit of that wonderful um, anxiety and stress reduction. So I swear by it. I always have it. Try it if you like. Go to CW Hemp, like Charlotte's Web, hemp.com slash weird and use promo code keep it crispy and you'll get 10% off so this is the first time we've had three and I'm using all three of them right now I'm wearing me undies let's see what's on them today unicorns <laughs> unicorns on me on my me undies uh, Charlotte's Web in my blood Alpha Brain in my noggin these are the Pete's picks that's all I have to plug and promote and share with you guys I'm so happy with this talk with Larry King. Check out everything Larry has going on right now. He's got a wonderful series online. You can check it out on YouTube. Um, I did an episode. And in the meantime, enjoy this wonderful chat. I was honored to sit down with him. Uh, I wish Val was here should say it. Everything's good with the baby, by the way. Baby's the size of a cabbage and kicking, and we're so excited. Um, And uh, she would say it, but I'm going to say it. Get into it. Flip phone. Yep. Larry. I don't. I don't want to be addicted. Everybody I know that has one of those is addicted. So all I do is make calls and receive calls. And if there's other news, people tell me. I don't have to look at it all. Do you find that that improves your life? I, I see the people. There's some people that only do print media. I've now. never had an iPhone. Never. Never. Not tempted. Not tempted at all. Because here you are. You, you know, everyone I see that has it, is on it all the time. Yes. And I've had lunch with friends where I don't speak to them. They're, they're on their phone. Or sometimes they put it on the table as if to say, anything comes yeah. up. I'm I, uh, and, uh, in fact, I was interviewing this cyberspace guy who works all over the world dealing with countries and everything. 
And he saw this and he says, that's the only safe phone. What does he mean by that? You can't hack it. No hack? No. Because there's no computer in it. It's just a phone. Once you delete, it's gone. Really? Where is your phone? You're assuming. Assuming. That's not good journalism. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Be hacked right now. Yes. Even when it's off. Yeah, that's freaking. Anything you've ever said is still there. What do you mean? You think it's been recorded? Nothing goes away. They can hack what... In other words, if someone left you a message six months ago, they can find it. Are you stoned right now? (laughs) (laughs) Have you been talking dope? Because this is getting freaky. No. I'm telling you what the guy said. (laughs) No, I believe you. Is that a value of yours? It's a value of mine is trying to be... I I was addicted to cigarette smoke. Is that right? I smoked for 30 years and had a heart attack... You had a heart attack. I did not know. In uh, February of 1987. 87. And I haven't smoked since. I never have uh, lit up a cigarette. And I smoke three packs a day. I was an incredible smoker. I just loved smoking. I never coughed. Uh, you took to it. Heart attack scared me to death. And um, so I started when I was about 17. I was 53 and I had a heart attack. Never picked up a cigarette again. So you had a good run, you know, in Marvel. I did, and I liked smoking. <laughs> but That's I, what uh, Chappelle says. He goes, people tell me to quit. He goes, I love smoking, which is... I like I like yeah. lighting it. I liked everything about it. I kept it lit in a soap dish in the shower. No. Yeah, I knew how to do it. Larry. Uh, well, we also, I smoked on television. Was it part of... Because what's interesting to me about smoking is nicotine. It's a, it's a brain stimulant. It gets your blood flowing. I, I never thought about it. It did, but I mean, did it help you when you were getting ready for a big interview? You're interviewing Sinatra. Were you smoking? No, I'll tell you about smoke. Tell if me you're, you're not a smoker, right? No, sir. Okay. When you're a smoker and you're ready to interview Sinatra, you have to smoke. <laughs> but it, uh, there's more to this. If you're ready to interview Johnny Smo, who's a carpenter, you yes. smoke. Uh-huh. You smoke when you have to do the typewriter, and you smoke when you're not at the typewriter. You smoke when you're on the phone, you smoke when you're off the phone. If you're a smoker, <laughs> you smoke. Yeah. It has nothing to do with whether you're interviewing Sinatra. Right, you just you smoke. You're hooked. Correct, you are hooked. But you have a black and white personality. You're able to go, like my father, quit drinking, just quit. I didn't, never thought I could quit. In other words, I, I knew it was bad. Yeah. It felt good to me, but I knew it was bad. I mean, I, I'm I not trying to be funny, though. You're old enough to remember the T-Zone, though. I mean, they told course, you it wasn't bad. I knew all the commercials. And, this, and your doctor smoking? I mean, we're talking straight madness. Doctor smoke. My yeah. doctor smoke. Came in smoking? I'd walk a Who's mile quack? or a mild, mild camel. They're so mild, they suit me to a T. Go to camel.com slash weird for 10% off your first purchase. No, no, see, there was no camel.com. <laughs> Pete, how old are you? I'm 39. I just turned 39. Well, I'm 84, Pete. You're living... <laughs> are, you, are you challenging me? i got to tell you who Adelaide Stevenson was. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, Pete? You, you no, gotta... I know. You know... I, that's why we only have an hour. I just want to get the goods, Larry. What's what do you want to learn, Pete? What's it all about? That's my eternal question. Yeah, what, is, what do you think? That's a question I have never had the answer to. Well, what's get, what gets you out of bed? What What is that... My friend Rob wrote a book about ikigai. It's the Japanese word for the thing that gets you out of bed. Here you are doing my podcast. You don't need this. You know what I mean? I don't need it, but I enjoy it. I enjoy communications. I enjoy conversation. That's why, uh, for example, that's why I like my phone, because you have to speak into it. Yeah. 
and it's a phone. Yeah. I don't like texting. You can't, That's not conversation. I understand. I like nuances. Remember the nuance of the of the landline? I know you do. Oh, I love Where you could line. hear like a breath, like someone I could have exhale. a landline at home. But I mean, now it's digital. It used to feel different. Like there was a subtlety to it. You could tell they were playing with the cord. You know what I mean? You know, Ex- about dialing. Yeah, for sure. Every part of it, your heart would be beating as you're dying at the zero. Don't get And I like calling the operator to make a long distance call. Is that right? Let her do it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do I need the tragic? I don't need that. But when you called somebody, it meant something. Now you text, because of course you text. Like it's oh, how about long distance? Long distance? Yeah. I better take that right away. Yes, exactly. They'd call uh, you away. And it meant something. You're paying extra money. Yeah, all you paid extra. It meant something. And I liked the ring of a phone. Yeah. I liked the way the phone sounded. I still do. I like a good dial tone. When someone hung up on you, it was there like a good fuck yourself. You know, I love that. I remember remember the first cell phone. My (laughs) Edward Bennett Williams, one of the great lawyers in American history, was the lawyer for the guy who invented the first cell phone. Uh Uh-huh. And we were driving to an Oriole baseball game. And he had the mock-up of the first one. Uh-huh. And, uh, Bigger than the car? In the car. <laughs> and he said, we're going to call my friend Art Buckwald, who's in Paris. Wow. And he's on a landline in Paris at a hotel, and we called him. Wow. And I'm holding this phone, attached to nothing. Yeah. Did it singe your skin? I mean, back then, the technology oh, I was said, new. Boy, you know, you knew you were in the start of some sort of revolution. Well, that's, see, you have the flip phone. We're in this time of constant... We were even just watching a little bit of the news in the green room and we had to shut it off. It's just kind of a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise. And it's happening all the time. And it's, it's constant. 24-hour news, and I was part of that movement. You know, sure. 25 years at CNN. Yeah. I, and I say that with no disrespect. Obviously, you're a legend, and we're grateful for everything you've done. But it, it, it's now... It's a, it's a different ballgame. Everybody's on a soapbox. You learn everything in a minute. If, if, if something happened in the world right now... Yeah. The world would know about it in a minute. Right. And your theory is someone will tell you. So so I look at it this way. Yeah. Hey, we bombed Alaska. Why? <laughs> it was a yeah. mistake. Someone will tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we bomb Alaska? No. <laughs> oh, my good Lord. With Trump, we might. Yeah. Well, it's frightening. And it does change your reality when you're tapped into every, the news feed coming in. I mean, when you were growing up, things were happening, Well, but it was more human the way you I remember out. an extra by a newspaper. Yeah. When something big happened. The, a big deal. The, the morning New York Times would have an afternoon edition. Extra, extra. Extra. Um, everything now is breaking news. It's a riot to me. <laughs> I, watch, I watch CNN, MSNBC, and Fox when I, I mostly I watch sports. Yeah. Uh, but everything's breaking news. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I do breaking news. The sun rose this morning. <laughs> 708. And then it's the same story that they've been running in the morning, and they're still calling it breaking news in right. the afternoon. Right. Talk and about I, an addiction. It's an addiction to get yeah, that. And, and I'm I in, guess I'm it's, in. it's designed to keep you humming and watching. Yeah. But when well, I... They, they cut to the car commercial. Val and I were just like, what is this? And I go, the cut to the car commercial, I go, this is what it is. It's these two fucking Mazdas on ice <laughs> skating around each other to like a Bennett song. I'm like, this I is remember what broadcasting is. when a bulletin was a bulletin. Yes. Not they a, called it a bulletin. Yeah. Oh, we have a news bulletin. Yeah. What about like Marilyn Monroe or uh, Kennedy? Or do you rem- These must be memories for you. In the way that 9-11 was a memory for me. You know, like you found it, out. 
I know, never I'm, interviewed Marilyn Monroe. Oh, I didn't think you did, but, but when I, she died, I mean... Oh, I remember that day. Yeah. Summer, and 63, I think. Where were you? I just have a few questions. <laughs> I was at my uh, radio station in Miami uh, at WIOD. Okay. Same place I was when Kennedy was shot. Is that right? That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I've lived through a lot of things. So you've talked to so many people. Uh, let's talk about what it's all about. Connection. I mean, you mm. like talking. That What is that? That's connection. Correct. Hopefully you'll see some of yourself reflected in me. It's I'll see cu- some of you. Curiosity. Curiosity. I'm, I'm insatiably curious. And is that something you work on, or is that just something you no, work on? No, no, I was... I remember when I was nine years old, I would ask a bus driver, why do you want to drive a bus? Really? My friends and I, we'd go to Dodger baseball games in Brooklyn, and they wanted autographs at the end of the game. I never wanted an autograph. You just wanted a moment. I wanted to ask. Yeah. Why, why did you bunt there in the third inning? Why ah. did you pinch hit for him? I'd run along with the players going to their cars, right. asking questions. <laughs> I'm the kind of person you do not want to sit next to on an airplane. Still? Still. I. And you don't work at it? There wasn't a point in your career when you went, I've no, talked I to enough I'd be a, boxers. I thought I'd be a sports... I always wanted to be on radio. Always. Well, you got a great voice. And then I, w- I wanted to be a sports announcer. I thought I'd be a baseball announcer. I love sports, but I was doing a morning dish jockey show. I was doing a funny show. I do comedy now. I do a lot of... I do a yeah. comedy tour. I do conventions. I'd have been a stand-up if I weren't a broadcaster. Yeah. Well, you But did, yeah. this restaurant needed a... They wanted a kind of a coffee clot show in the morning, you know, people sit around talking, and they asked me to come, and they paid me to come and do a show from 10 to 11 in the morning when restaurants weren't busy. They hoped it would increase the crowd. It did, and I would interview people sitting around, and one day Bobby Darren walked in. Jimmy Hoffa walked in. No way. And I got to interview these people. I couldn't prepare because I didn't know who was coming. Wow. And I got to love that. I got to love it live. I got to love it off the top of my head. Real showbiz. But I was really... it. The, I knew I had a home Yeah. when I had someone to ask questions. Well, talk about that. You know, I'm sure you know, Joseph Campbell talks about find your bliss, follow your bliss. Correct. You found your bliss. Doesn't it yeah. break your heart when, you know, you have? I have lots of people in my life don't exactly know what their bliss is. What a mitzvah. You found your bliss. It's a, it is a mitzvah. How do you know that word? Uh, because I know who I'm talking to, sir. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I have a lot of Jewish friends. Yeah, you bet you do. I'm in showbiz, baby. Just <laughs> if you had a bar mitzvah. That's the biggest mitzvah of all. That's true. Today I am a fountain pet. <laughs> but I, uh, I, 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 yes, I found that, that moment. I found my career I knew would be broadcasting. So is but, that what it's about? Finding what's in you and giving it back? Yes, but then there are so many other things to learn. What else? For yourself, finding what's in you and giving it back. And I never went in it for financial rewards. That was never. That was a sideshow. Have you interviewed a lot of people? In my experience, 60,000. Well, my 400-something is pathetic by comparison, but I've never talked to an interesting person that got in it for cash. I mean... Nobody. (laughs) Get out of here. Leave the studio if you're telling me you thought it was a quick way to make a buck. It's two truisms. Yes, sir. Every successful person is driven. You don't have to, you can be shy and be successful. You can be, you're just driven. There's an inner drive in Like a you. quiet drive, yeah. And it's not for money. Yeah. Money is a result of what you do. As Ted Turner used to tell me, it could be toothpicks. 
Mm. We're playing for toothpicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many toothpicks do you have? I have 30. <laughs> toothpicks in you. And another thing, absolutely true. Any successful person, Paul Newman told me this, any successful person in discussing his or her career who does not use the word luck is a liar. Yeah, that's great. Luck, now, some people say luck is the residue of design. You make your own luck. Hmm. I don't believe that. What if left turn, right turn? Well, they don't want a coffee shop. What if, show, that, yeah. what if that day when I was knocking around New York and doing odd jobs and didn't go to college and I finally, my brother had graduated school so he could help my mother. My father had died when I was very young. And I'm walking down the street with a friend, and he, we bump into James Sermons, who's now 100 years old. Huh? And he was director of announcers at CBS. And I said, I want to get in the radio. Where should I go? And he said, go to Miami, because there's a lot of stations, and there's no union. So there's either people starting or people who are near retirement. Yeah. And I went to Miami. Now... What if I didn't bump into James? You literally could have gone left instead of right. Could have gone left instead of right. Now, some people would say I I would have had a career no matter where I went. Yeah. Because I had talent. So if I went to Buffalo or Des Moines, I would have had a career. Yeah. So Miami was the place I went. But I don't know that. What if I didn't bump into him? Yeah. Now, Locke, what about, do you believe in any sort of providence? Or, no. No? Ah. I don't believe in, I don't believe in a, a hierarchy. I don't believe I'm being watched. <laughs> I don't believe someone's keeping score. Mm. I believe this is it. Mm-hmm. And, uh... So you did just get lucky, just pure and simple. Oh, yeah, luck. Now, I took advantage of the luck. Yes. I got a job. Everybody knows you're a hard worker. But I made an imprint. I love, it's, I don't even call it work. Last time I worked... I was a delivery man for United Parcel Service. I was 22 years old, mm-hmm. and I was a helper on the trucks. United Parcel Service, when they started, a big company, they delivered for all the New York City department stores. Uh-huh. So we delivered, and we, the guy would drive, and I would stand, and we'd carry packages upstairs. He went across the street. I went there. We delivered for Saks, Lord & Taylor. Brown shorts? What? Brown? <laughs> enough shorts then. Brown Brown uniform, brown pants. We had to look in the mirror every day to see how we looked. <laughs> the first check I ever saw over $100 was from United Parcel Service. And that was the last time you worked? That was the last time. I haven't gone to work in 61 years. Yes. I well, don't work. So it's taking what's inside of us and giving it back, yeah. following a calling, following a bless. We agree on that. You, you alluded, what are the other things that you need to figure out outside of yourself? Or- That's what I don't know. What's it all about? I don't know. I asked Stephen Hawking, who died recently. Yeah brightest man who ever lived and I said to him what what is something you don't know about and he said women (laughs) and I might answer the same thing I have had uh, some failures in my life I I don't understand love has fascinated me for example you can't plan for it you can't say, I'm going to fall in love tomorrow. Yeah. You can't say, I'm not going to fall in love tomorrow. No matter what they tell you at Larry Flint's Hustler Club, it doesn't work like that. That's right. <laughs> you, you it's know, involuntary. You know it when it happens. Yep. And you can't really control it. 
It's like falling down the stairs is what you're saying. <laughs> well, if you trip, you're going down. <laughs> yes. So that, that mystifies me. When was the first time you fell in love? Uh, I was 17. 17. You just started smoking. Right, correct. <laughs> and uh, she was in high school. We, you know, we went steady for a while. Yeah. That broke up. But I, I knew the feeling Were people... of jealousy uh-huh. and uh, longing yeah. and thinking about someone. Yeah. Were people... This is... You can skip any question you want, but you seem like a... <laughs> Regular I'm guy. What do Are people having sex back then? You're 17 years Never old. Had sex, no. Didn't have sex. That's interesting my to me. My I, first no. sex was uh, I worked in the mountains, the Catskill Mountains. <laughs> oh my God! Can we dissolve to this right now? I just need this to be a movie. I was a busboy, and uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I was 18, I think. 18. Yeah, I'm 18. And it was with a woman whose husband. She stayed there for the whole summer. And her husband would come up weekends, and I used to be a busboy, go to butter and everything. <laughs> and uh, we were making eyes one night, and we made love on the baseball field at night. Get out of my face, really? We made home, love at home plate. I hope so. And I like to say, I scored. <laughs> did you go from base to base doing the No, appropriate? no, we just did it at home. <laughs> I came home. <laughs> did she come home? That's I, I hope so. Could have faked it. Uh, you kept signaling for no, her to come. No, we didn't have sex. Are you kidding? We're lucky to get kissed. <laughs> no, we didn't. The, you mean your first girlfriend? I was. It was not. I didn't have. The seventeen-year-old. I never had sex with her. Yeah, it came later. No, yeah. You, I was just curious if people got. People are always saying we're more sexual. Everybody keeps getting more and more sexual, but people had to have been doing it. Yeah, but I don't know if they were doing it young. Yeah. Well, eighteen's uh, not. I. You know, it's pretty. It's normal, I suppose. Eighteen. I don't know. 18, 19. Now it's 14, 15. Yeah. Uh, but love is a mystery to you. Figuring that out. But you... Figuring that, and also, I haven't figured out. The thing I most have never figured out... Yeah. ...is prejudice. Don't understand it. I, I was raised a certain way, and... Why do people regard people of a different color or a different religion or... Do, why do, why do they look down at them and look differently at them? Yeah. It's the pigment of skin. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah, it's a different suit. It's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is morally insane. It is also, it's a, it's a, Ross Perot said a smart thing to me. What kept the South down all those years? They had to build two bathrooms when they only needed one. That's so funny. Two water fountains. Well, hate comes with a price, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah. If you don't educate a whole degree of your population, how will they buy Buicks? Yeah. You know what I mean? So you keep them down to your own dismay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're voting against your own self-interest. Right. Your best self-interest. In keeping them from Everybody being, keep, doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do badly. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That's right. Well, that's what Dr. King said. He said, Correct. those hurting us, I feel my heart breaks for us and for the people hurting us. Absolutely. Is that something you've learned? The, uh, oh, yeah. Hate, jealousy? Are hate, you, jealousy. I, what about I, now? I, mean, I lost that. You lost it. I don't get jealous. Well, you dropped it like baggage. I guess. I didn't think about it. Do you I think just, that's 
the New York and you? Because I can see it go both ways. I know a lot of people from New York who are prejudiced, and then I know a lot of a lot more that aren't because there's so many different types of people in New York, and you're all in it together. I, I never understood it. I never understood why. And I've asked it. Of, I've interviewed bigots. Really? I never got a good answer. Why? 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 Yeah. And why do you dislike this person? Right. Because they are Hispanic. People Why? look for pattern recognition, though. I think it's a simple... Yeah, I guess to feel superior to something. It uh, comes... I have to think it calms fears. You go, like, it's not all cars that I have to look out for. It's green cars that might hit me. Lenny Bruce was a great friend of mine and brilliant, and they call him a sick comic, but he really wasn't sick. And he said, someday... I love the way he spoke. Someday... <laughs> Blacks are going to have equality. And then we're going to have to figure out someone else. Yeah. Pick on, I got it, Eskimos. <laughs> Eskimos. Yeah, that's goddamn it. <laughs> you know how you check in hotel rooms and you look at the furniture sometimes, there's a tag underneath that says, remove under penalty of law. Yeah. You know who removes it? Eskimo. <laughs> you know any Eskimo? Do you know any Eskimo who fought for this country? God damn Eskimo. It was a riot. No, no. And he's making a point. Of course. We like having a villain. We do. We want clear-cut rules. Why we do? I, ne- I never... I, ne- I don't feel superior to anyone. Yeah. I, don't, I just don't know. Do you feel a lot of anxiety or fear or dread? I fear death. You fear death? Because I, I don't think I'm going anywhere. And so it's that's and the greatest mystery of all. There, uh, I've said this on the podcast before, but it was Epicurus who said, "Why fear death when death is? I am not. When I am, death is not." So, give me that again. Why fear death when death is? I am not. When I am, death is not. So, what does it have to do with you? What do you really fear? Do you fear pain, loss, loss of experience? Not actually death. I'll tell you what I fear: not existing. You don't like thinking about the void. I don't, I, I don't want to leave before I know who won the pennant. <laughs> and then after they won the pennant, I don't, I don't want to, who's going to win in football? Yeah, you like the who's game. Gonna, I like the game. Who's going to be next president? Who's going to, otherwise, now I know I didn't know that before November 19th, 1933. Yeah. Before that day, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know and Harding fine. and Coolidge. I was, well, I didn't know I was fine. And you won't know then, right? Well, that's what I say to my wife's very religious and what? other people. She's Mormon. Other people I know are religious. They all think they're going somewhere. Yeah. And I said, well, you can't lose. Yeah. You'll either be dead and not know it or you'll go somewhere. Right. You can't lose. Right. You can't lose. So you, you have made that leap. Unless I, you pick the wrong one. I can't make that leap of faith. Yeah. I can't make that leap. And what happened to me was I was bar misfit. I was a religious Jew in a childhood. But the more it started in interviewing. The more I interviewed great religious leaders, and except for a pope, I've, ne- I've interviewed every great religious leader, Mormon, churchly, Russian Orthodox, uh, everyone. And I never got an answer to the question of the Holocaust. Right. A living, a loving God. Why would he do that? And they always say, we do not question the ways of the Lord. Right. Why not? Right. Why not question the ways of the Lord? Has anyone ever Never posited had a good... to you the idea that all of existence is like one body, and just like my body gets sick in certain areas, and these experiences teach the body and grow the body, burning off karma, 
teaching what skills. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> all of that is... You believe that? No, I, I'm just okay. one thing. All I've of heard. that is like est. It's out there. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I, but I mean, I, where else would it be? It's not here. No, I know. <laughs> it's got to be out there. I, the thing is, I don't know. Bertrand Russell, the great Bertrand Russell, Sir Bertrand Russell, Nobel Prize winner, mathematics author, lived into his late 90s. He was at a dinner, and he was 95, and someone asked him, Sir Russell, what don't what do you know? Hmm. What do you know? And he said, the only thing I know is that I don't know. Yeah. And these people who know, I give them a lot of credit. Can I? I don't know. I'm going to give you a, this is actually, I think it's a good Deepak Chopra. I, I bet you don't believe anything Deepak Chopra I said. know Deepak very well. You will have very, <laughs> everything will come to you very well. I was like, is the voice coming in? It is. <laughs> he says, walk with those who are seeking truth, run from those who claim to have found it. And I think that's right on the money. But it is interesting. Some, some people would say the question of why the Holocaust is the point, is like that wrestle. You're Jewish. That wrestle and the wounds we get from that confusion, is the, that is the point, the conversation itself. Why does that tell you there is a God? I'm not even, let's get God out of here. I'm just saying, doesn't that, even the pain, let me put it to you. The Holocaust is heavy. Loss of a child is heavy. War is heavy. All these things are heavy. But in your own life, have you found that you're, you mentioned that you've had some failures in love? Of course. I myself divorced these sorts of things. From that soil is where the sweetest fruit grew, from those lessons. Did you, win, did you learn more from your wins or your losses, is what I'm asking? Losses. I guess, aren't there then huge-scale, incomprehensible things that might have some sort of purpose, not even a mystical God purpose, just something for us to be correct, playing with. Correct, dear Peter, but... Yes, sir. You don't know it at the time. You sure don't know it you at know the time. You know it later. When you were... You know, that was, you were good to get hit by that car because it taught you... <laughs> yeah, don't, don't say that while they're... Don't walk, don't cross the street in the middle of the block run. Yeah, yeah. But when you're lying on the ground yes. and the ambulance is coming, Nobody. you don't say, boy, if I get through this the next time, I am going to go... That's absolutely right. So, if somebody had tried to say your divorce is a good thing, I would have I would have smacked him in the face. That's I mean, right, it, correct. It, my but heart was broken. That's correct. And yeah. so, we learn a lot by our losses. Yeah. And, but uh, it's such the whole thing is such a mystery to me. Beautiful. That I'm I can't believe Billy Graham was a very good friend to me. Mm. Interviewed him a lot. Uh, in fact, right before he died, I got a lovely little message from him. And he believed there's a spirit in you, Larry. He used to tell me, you're a child of God. God loves you. He put you here to do what you did. And he totally believed he wasn't a charlatan. But I used to look at him and say, Billy, you, you believe you're going to be with Christ? Absolutely. Where, where is Christ? Where is he that you're going to be with? Heaven, come on, Billy. Yeah. Can I tell you my favorite Bible verse? This is, this is happening. They say the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, won't come by expectation, meaning I'll go there when I die. The kingdom of heaven is among us and men do not see it. That's what Jesus said. So the idea of heaven someplace else, somewhere else, I'm thinking of something 
outside of time, outside of our understanding. I'm with you is what I'm saying. The atheist or the agnostic perspective is more in line, I think, with what Jesus was saying than some sort of afterlife insurance policy. I'm amazed that people, I believe more people are agnostic than say they are. For sure. And they fear death more than they say they do. But what's missing is, and the Jews are very good at this, is a room in our brains, in our beliefs, for mystery, for saying I don't know. I think that's a beautiful position. And then you dance with it rather than any dogma or any... Well, I love the Jewish perspective. Me too. Uh, The Jews don't... uh, They, I remember a rabbi said to me, listen, live a good life. Yeah. Live a good life. If there's something, fine. If there's nothing, fine. Live a good life. That's... And I would say that that's what Jesus said, too. He said, love your neighbor. Jesus was a Jew. As yourself. A great Jew. Yeah, I mean, a pretty good, good Jew. <laughs> He's a great pretty savior, pretty good Jew. Harry Golden, the, <laughs> the editor of the Carolina Israelite, was a brilliant man. And he, had the, uh, he was one of the few Jews in the city where he lived in North Carolina. And he said, uh, if Christ came back, he would have to come see me. <laughs> and he would have to ask me things like, what is a Lutheran? Yeah. What is a Baptist? Yeah. Where's the synagogue? Yeah. I want to go to the synagogue. Yes. And I want my food kosher. Of course. And I want to conduct the next Seder. And get a hat on that pastor. That's right. Yeah. Cover your head. What are you doing? That's right. And as he would say, and also he said, if I die, when I die, there's only four possible leaders if there's an afterlife. And be Christ... Moses, Freud, <laughs> or Karl Marx. Wow. And they were all Jews. <laughs> <laughs> You're so, chosen for a reason. So I figure I'm on the right team. <laughs> so as in Fiddler on the Roof, as Tevye said, you didn't have to choose us. <laughs> Stop choosing us. <laughs> you, know, you will die. Okay. <laughs> Thinking of... I love Jewish humor. That's why I love the way Jews think. Can I tell you one that I love? This rabbi is going to the temple. Cop stops him and says, where are you going? And he says, I don't know. And the cop says, well, clearly, you're dressed for temple. You're on your way to the temple. You're going to the temple. And he goes, I don't know. Cop gets mad because the rabbi is being belligerent, throws him in jail. Rabbi goes, see? <laughs> Isn't that good? That's... that's- I thought I was going to temple. Now I'm in jail. That's the mystery. Certainty dries God or awareness or itness or whatever you want to call it. Juice. It dries it up. It's fucking nuts. It's the same place that racism comes from. It's It's going, black people are violent. Jesus is with me. That's why you see some overlap. It's it's that black and white certainty that people want. The right wing evangelists. That's right. But I would say God and the mystery, let's get God out of here. The mystery is so much sexier than that. Like, I love that you're, you've had so much life and so much, and you're still So how do you approach death? You're too young to think about it. No, I think about it constantly. I can tell you one of my favorite death quotes, and I doubt you're going to believe it, and it doesn't matter. Um, Ram Dass, do you know Ram Dass, Richard Alpert? He says, uh, death is like taking off a tight shoe, which you've worn well. It's completely safe, is what he says. Death does not have to be seen as a failure to appreciate life. It adds vitality to the moment. It adds purpose and an engine to the I don't see it as a failure. There you go. I see it as a final stab in the back. Uh That's funny. He says it's the the fruition of this adventure called life. It's the next adventure. But he obviously is implying, I think, in a way that we don't 
understand with our brains that it's not the end, not meaning that Larry King consciously continues, but that your essence, the, the smallest measure of your awareness might continue to play oh, the yeah. game. Because where else could it go? It's kind of to your point. Where's heaven? Where's when, hell? Where's when nothing? When I was asleep last night, I could have been dead. Every day, every night you die. Every morning you're resurrected. Right, right, that's right. But when we talk about nothing, where is that nothing? It's the same problem. When we go, oh, Billy Graham, you think I'm going to heaven? Well, I think I'm going into the void. Where's that void? Where is there nothing? There is this thisness that keeps generating, and it recycles, and it swirls. I, inter- I interviewed Swami Satchidananda, yes. famous Swami. Didn't he, like, walk on water and stuff? Beetle Swami, yeah. He was, he was silent for 20 years. And Wow. So, His best period, if you ask. I had, a, I had a fun time with him. I said, Swami, um, what he, he was talking about, when he gets up in the morning, when he opens his eyes, the first thing he says is thank you. Beautiful. He doesn't know who he's saying thank you to, but he said to himself, did I deserve this day? Mm. Am I such a great person that I deserve this day? So if it's raining, so what? Mm. If it's cloudy, so what? Mm. If the toast is burnt, they'll give you another piece of toast. <laughs> In other words, yes. everything he did was based on his... Gratitude. So I gave him the ultimate question. I said, well, I gave him two things. I said, suppose I said, I'll pick you up tomorrow, take you to the airport, and I don't show up. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. When I call you to say I'm sorry, what will you, what will you say? Larry, how are you? Are you okay? I know you didn't deliberately not pick me up. I've only been thinking of you. I got to the airport. But how are you? <laughs> Who owns that moment? Yeah. So I said, okay, Swami, you come home, and your wife is in bed with another guy. Yeah. He starts, he starts squirming around to the window. She's screaming. What do you do? <laughs> he says, he goes, dear laddie, I know what you would do. You would jump up and down and yell, and what are you doing? I said, what would you do, Swami? He said, I would say... This is a very difficult moment. Hmm. Why don't we all go downstairs, have some tea? Because, he said, what's the one thing you want to know about that situation? Information. Yeah. How did this happen? Yeah. How long has it been going on? Yeah. Why did it happen? What's the worst way to get it? Yell. Wow. That's beautiful. But how can you live that way? How can you live... Well, it's like standing next to your life instead of in it, yeah. which can seem creepy to some people. A lot of these spiritual types were like, are they even here? But like, it seems like they've worked very hard. Everything to rolls off their back. It's interesting. I was watching, I'm obsessed with Mad Men. I love the show Mad Men. And uh, the psychic tells Don, ask a question with your mind. And then later she says, your question was, does someone love me? And, she goes, and he goes, how did you know? And he goes, because that's everyone's question. So I thought in that moment, you're going to yell, you're going to want information. Really, what's underneath all of that? Does somebody love me? Does, any, does anybody see me? Does anybody care about me? Is this all just is this all nonsense? It's, uh, we're alone. Are we alone? Are people thinking about me when I'm not there? Yeah, that's a big one. What, what do they say when I walk out of the room? Yeah. Tricky. I would like, if I had a wish, I would like to be invisible. You would? Oh. You want to hear? I would just want to do lots of things. I'd want to 
take money from Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, where's that floating out of? <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are high roller chips floating by fairly slowly. This, you know, The Shadow, the great radio show, The Shadow, you know? Sure. No, The who Shadow knows? knows, yeah. Who knows what evil is? You know, The Shadow is not invisible. He discovered a way to poison men's minds so that they didn't see him. He was there. Yeah. They didn't see him. That's even better. That's... Because then well, you can still look down and see yourself. Yeah, oh, what a great life. You're, you are a show business person. You work uh, with people. Absolutely. You've been in this business. I love comics. I love, I love laughter. I love, yeah. But you have to wear a lot of hats and stuff. You run this uh, I, show and you've run many shows. How do you reconcile the, you know, wielding power and staying well, a good person? I never thought of it as power. I, <laughs> I thought of it as just being curious. You know, all I wanted to do was be on the radio. Yeah. I had no idea there'd be a CNN or I'd be seen all over the world. Who knew? Who knew? Whoever picked that? Whoever could predict that? Yeah. So all I wanted to do was just communicate with people. And I love the sound of the radio. I'd listen to old radio shows and yeah. imitate them. The yeah. shadow and yeah. a tale well calculated to keep you in. Orson Welles and Suspense. Like <laughs> Excuse me, I didn't know there was more. Oh, that was Suspense. Lights yeah. out. Arch Obler's Lights Out. Here's how the show began. Crawl under your couch. Turn down your blinds. Lock your door. And turn <laughs> that was radio. I'm at home going, I don't have to do any of this. That was, that was, that's you, Peter. That's, that's why I wouldn't, I don't care if you listen. <laughs> I, but that was ra- the magic of radio. Well, you had that singularity of vision. I, I find that I see that com- comics that I know that are great need to do it and they love to do it. It kind of goes back to what we were saying. That's I feel like. Com- comedy is, it's surprise. Yes. It's. Uh, it's that element. It's that moment, right before the punchline. Yeah. And all punchlines are surprise. Yes. But before that punchline, it's a great moment. And how you tell it. Yes. And when you know you're standing on a stage. And you have it. And you have them. Yeah. And you can go anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere, and they're with you. Yep. John. John Mulaney said it's like they're all leaning forward with their chins and you have your, your arm cocked back. That's why they call it a punchline. You're John about to Mulaney crack. is hosting Saturday Night Live. He is this Saturday. Saturday. And I'm on it. Are you really? I did a tape with him. I don't know what they're, how they're going to play it, but I'm, I'm promoting his appearance. He's doing a film that's going to show at Madison Square Garden. Wow. I don't know how they're going to work it, but I had to tape this whole thing. Incredible. How do, you, how do you explain that? Is it your love of comedy? Obviously, you're a very funny guy, but you've become a fixture with Conan, with everybody. I mean, I lo- because I love, I love laughter. I love, I love laughing. I love people who make me laugh. I love, like, Mel Brooks. Yeah, who's your favorite? Well, Mel is the brightest. Mel is the funniest. Yeah. Because Mel is so off the wall. Yeah. And a 2,000-year-old man, I had adventures with Mel. I was in New York for the World's Fair in 1964, and I was, brought, I was doing interviews. I interviewed Johnny Carson, interviewed Casey Stengel, and I interviewed Mel when they were filming the original producers, Black and White with Gene Wilder and Zero Mostel. And uh, they were filming that time. So I mean, he, the album had just come out, 
the 2,000-year-old man. Do you ever hear it? Of course. Okay, funniest album ever. Yeah. So I had him on during the World's Fair. And I said, you want to play 2,000-year-old man? He says, sure. I says, okay. What do you think of the fair? He says, fair. <laughs> I says, fair? They have monorails and all. Yeah, yeah. They're... Were you at the first fair? The first fair was in 0063. <laughs> the fair was held at the bottom of a ravine because there was no method of transportation. <laughs> the people would come to the top of the ravine and roll in. <laughs> the whole world came, 1,100 people. It sold out. He said, and all with it. I said, but, but did you have rides? Like, rides? <laughs> We had the burning bush. We thought it was a ride. <laughs> we jumped on. Here you're fire. <laughs> and he said it was. We, we had. We had. Oh, he said what? What was? What was your big exhibit? What's the big exhibit here? I said it's a small world. Hey, our biggest exhibit, Moses, part of the Red Sea. <laughs> he did this three times a week. Twice on Saturday, <laughs> twice on Sunday. I went up to him and told him, you do this enough, I get you into the Old Testament. <laughs> I'll tell you another Mel Brooks. Brilliant. I had him on my radio show the night we landed on the moon. Wow. And I, so I said, we got to do the 2,000-year-old man. <laughs> what do you think of landing on the moon? And he goes, the moon... I've been here 2,000 years. The moon is my favorite thing in the universe. I love the moon more than anything else. I love the moon. Why? For 400 years, I thought I had a cataract. <laughs> and one day, my friend Bernie said, isn't the moon beautiful tonight? I said, the what? <laughs> you just improvise that? Yeah. I think of that, to come out of that mind. So I yeah. love... Yeah. And I love a great joke. Yeah, what's your favorite joke? Oh, I don't know this. Like a street joke that you're not, not like a routine, whatever you got. Uh, good joke. Man's going to go to prison. Nervous. Friend says, hey, see that guy just got out of San Quentin. Go over and ask him about it. She goes over and says, listen, I got to go to prison tax evasion. I'm scared. The guy says, oh, don't worry. San Quentin, it's a piece of jeep. Piece of pie. Yeah. Nothing. On Mondays, you like good food? Monday at San Quentin is Chef's Day. The top chefs in America come. They share meals with you, give you the recipes, and you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the top chefs. You're going to love Monday. Tuesday, you like to work out? The top, the top, the top guys who work out will bring you the latest equipment, and you'll work out on this equipment all day, and you'll meet them and ask them questions. You're going to love Tuesday. You like movies? Wednesday. Oh, <laughs> you're going to love Wednesday. Directors come. They bring all the late movies. You see four new movies, and they discuss the movies with you. You're going to love Wednesday. Now, Thursday, are you gay? Well, <laughs> you're not going to like Thursday. <laughs> now, that's a great joke. It has surprise. It has element. You it's build. fun in the middle. And like every my, part is fun. When my kids were little, they would say, Tell the Thursday joke. Wow, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I feel like we're running out of time, Larry. Am I right about that? Um, no, we've done, I think, uh, got another 10. Okay, 10 minutes is fine. Whatever uh, you want, Peter. Well, I don't. you're running your two-time Emmy-nominated 
This, the Larry King this, now. I got a lifetime achievement in 2010. The Emmys presented me with a lifetime achievement. In 2010? Yeah, it was Eight years ago. Right after I left CNN. It was a great honor. It was in New York. All the news anchors were there. It was a big dinner, and it was a wonderful night. And it was a thrill to get this solid gold Emmy. I mean, it was yeah. about 10 pounds. It was really... It's actually gold? Yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's not like... I understand. It's not gold-plated. It's wow. beautiful. Wow. It's beautiful. It's and like uh, Easter. What an honor. Lifetime achievement. Since then, I've gotten seven Emmy nominations and three Webbies. I won a Webby. That's for digital shows. Yeah, yeah. So I thought to myself, and uh, a guy was interviewing me the other day from a newspaper, and he said they looked it up. No one has got a Lifetime Achievement Award and gets nominated. Wow. It's like Charlie Chaplin wins a Lifetime Oscar. He's in a wheelchair. He's 92. Yeah. And after he gets the Lifetime Oscar, he makes a movie. Yeah, and he yeah. wins an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're he's breaking them all. He's supposed to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, so I'm very, uh, you know, I just, it's all, I, I pinch myself every day. Really, Peter, I, I can't believe all this happened to me. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't believe it. I live in Beverly Hills. Three grown children. Where? I'm just kidding. <laughs> two, 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 uh, two uh, teenage boys who are great baseball players. Yeah. Very proud. Very proud. I got a wife much younger than me. A Mormon wife. Yeah. When people see us together, uh, I know what they're thinking. You know, they see me. I'm in my I'm 84. She's much younger. Yeah. I know what they're thinking. I always say the same thing. If she dies, she dies. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Life goes on. <laughs> well, in her religion, I'm pretty sure you're set by her beliefs because you're in the holy union oh, of she, marriage, which she, means... Yeah, but we, that's the only thing we can't discuss because she says, you know... Seems like a pretty big one. First, you'll go on. You, there's, you, there's the other side. The Mormons believe in the other side. Yeah. You go to the other side. Oh, not I ask questions they can't answer. <laughs> How old are you on the other side? <laughs> will I be 85 forever? Or will I? No, you'll be 36. What happens on Thursday? Uh, 36. <laughs> 36 was a terrible year in my life. I don't want to be 36. Uh, uh, that, you just, want to be 86. <laughs> it's just incredible to me. It's just incredible to me. The other side. Why do children, where do children go on the other side? Three years old, you die, where do you go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. They believe you were here before. Oh, yeah, the Mormons believe... Reincarnation style? You come down into that... Right. ...another body. Right. But, no, no, not reincarnation. No, it's like soul-choosing body. Soul-choosing, yeah. you choose... Not an accident. Right. Interesting. You're not an accident. How did you... Well, that's probably a question for her. How did she look the other way on a, on a Jew from Brooklyn? <laughs> well, In, Mormons like Jews. They're very, they feel very close. You know, in Israel, they, have, they can't send missionaries there. Israel won't allow missionaries. Uh-huh. But they believe in uh, searching back to... Oh, they love lineage, yeah. Lineage. I, when I was in Israel, I saw Mormons everywhere. Searching in lineage. I believe they're called flocks, flocks yeah. of Mormons. Yeah. Let's do the speed round because your wife, who cares? You okay. Wow. <laughs> We're talking to Larry King. Forget it. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Your wife sounds well, lovely. I forgot her name. Tell me, <laughs> it's probably Moira or something. Uh, that's a Jewish name. I was trying to think of a Mormon name. Tell me the greatest lesson, uh, speed round, that you've learned about show business. That it's real and it's wonderful. I love that. What about conversation, trying to connect? Nothing beats conversation. You don't need a cell phone. There you go. Longevity. I mean, what are we doing? Uh, the Black more, home? the better. <laughs> <laughs> the more, the better. Longevity is good. Comedy? 
funny. I, I, if something is funny, as Mel Brooks said, tragedy is if I cut my finger. Funny is if you fall down a manhole. <laughs> I cut my finger, I run to Mount Sinai. <laughs> you fall down a manhole, I break up. I don't call anybody. <laughs> what about talent? You've interviewed all these stars. Is there a trait you see? Well, that's the one thing that's kind of a mystery. It is inborn. Hmm. You can't teach someone to be a comedian. You can make a singer better. You can give them vocal lessons, but you can't give them the instrument. Hmm. And where does that instrument come from? Where did Caruso's interest? Now, believers will tell you God. God gave it. Go. Why didn't he give it to Saul Fink? Why did he give it to Caruso? Uh, and that's that's what Sarielli was asking. Sarielli. That's one of the mysteries. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But talent, I think, is inborn. Marriage. I, I think it, you know. I think about marriage. I think it should be only a state business. In other words, if there's children, the st- the state shouldn't marry. You should be married in a religious. If you're not religious, you can go down and get a marriage license. But what's why should the state interfere in your marriage unless you have children? Right. Why should the state care about your marriage? Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Let's make this official. And uh, they're marrying later now. Yeah. When I, I just was, got married. I'm 39. When I was a kid, you get married when you're 20, 21. Yeah. Now they're 28 and 29. They're waiting. Yeah. Because the kids probably see so much divorce and unhappiness yeah. that they become a little wary. But what what drew you to it? I mean... Well, I, I was raised... I, I didn't never slept over at a girl's house. Yeah. I was raised, if you had feelings like you were... I've really only been in love a couple times. But if you had feelings of love, you're supposed to get married. Yeah. That was the culture in Brooklyn, New York. Right. Nobody got divorced. Right. I got divorced when I went to Miami. Right. Miami got divorced. Yeah. Miami life is a good divorce. <laughs> Miami is the <laughs> land of divorce. What about um, fatherhood? That, that's the best thing of all. Uh, My wife is pregnant. Of all the accomplishments, this is your first child? Yeah. Okay. Here's what's coming. <laughs> you know what it is yet? It's a girl. When that girl is born, for the first time in your life, Peter, you will have someone, the instant she's born, instant, (laughs) you will have someone totally dependent on you. Yeah. For life, for food, for substance, for shelter, totally dependent on you. For the first time in your life, you will have unrequited love. Mm. You will love that child no matter what she does. Lee Harvey Oswald's mother loved him as much as Rose Kennedy loved John. Yeah. They both experienced loss. Yeah. They both experienced love. She didn't love him any less. She didn't like what he did. Yeah. She loved him. Wow. So you will have unrequited love for this person in your life. Your life will change. Everything about your life will change. You will be a little jealous <laughs> when you want to go to bed with your wife and she wants to hold the baby. Mm. You will be, oh, she's up again, three in the morning, but then you'll love it 
Yeah. It's one of the four Jews I could meet, Freud. <laughs> when, when you come home at night and she's eight and says, Hi, Daddy. Listen to soliloquy from Carousel. And he sings, My boy Bill, he'll be tall and tough as a tree. He will, my boy. And he's talking about having a son. Yeah. And then suddenly he goes, what if, what if he is a she, <laughs> a girl? What, what can I do for her? How can I care for her? What, and what if she has boys of two or three? And they come home to see me, her father. What have I done for her? Well, I'm going to make it for her. If I don't make it, I will go out and take it. Hmm. Or die. Hmm. Soliloquy from Carousel. Listen to it. Hmm. Nothing like fatherhood is the greatest. Hmm. There's, there's nothing like it. I have three grown and two... Uh, two teenage boys from this marriage and my wife has a son from her first. So I have a stepson and five biological children, grandchildren and a couple of great-grandchildren. Hmm. And the treasure of all is I still, this is funny, I still get a little jump every time I hear dad. Really? Yeah, a little bump. Every, no matter what it is. If it's, uh, give me $20, if it, if, yeah. when the child says, dad, and when the girl says, daddy, boys don't say daddy. Yeah. Dad or pops. Yeah. What are you, old man? Old man. man. <laughs> In this case, it's true. <laughs> but you, you are blessed. Yeah. There's nothing now. We will be present at the birth yeah. When my older children were born, you couldn't be, but now I saw my... I cut the cord yeah. on both my young boys. And you see them born. Then you can say, this is a miracle. Mm. Tell you what, what the miracle is. I got a little medicine thing I carry. Every, once you have a heart attack, you got to carry this with you forever, which is uh, nitroglyc little nitroglycerin pills. Mm. If you get in it, if you feel like I haven't used them much, but if you feel like you're having a pain angina, you take this under your tongue and put a little medical, little, uh, tiny little pills. Yeah. I had on a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry once, and I asked him, "What amazes you? This relates to your being a father. Yeah. What amazes you?" He said, "I could do." a 100-page book on every person on Earth. The DNA, the chemicals, the situation of their body, their heart, 100 pages. Yeah. But all the sperm that made the whole world wouldn't fill this jar. Wow. That's what I know, and that's what I don't know. Yeah. Wow. So when you see that child born, that moment when she comes out, you, have, you named her? Leela. Leela. Oh, now you got Now you know. Now Leela is a reality. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You've seen her on the interscope. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. She's on her fridge. When Leela comes out, crying, 
Uh, a doctor told me, do you know why they cry? Why is that? What the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> I love my water. <laughs> yeah. I love my safety. I love my warmth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll never appreciate anything more, Peter. I can't wait. And the love of your wife is a romantic love. It's wonderful, but there's nothing like the love of a child. Mm. And your wife will have some depression that's normal. After she's gone through the nine months of carrying, there will be a little down period. You get through that. They have medicine for it. Mm. It's not you're going to kill yourself. It's right. It's just right. something's missing. This thing that was alive in you is I not kicking it. you. I get postpartum after eight seasons of eight episodes of television. I can't imagine when it's like holding a baby for nine months. I really do. I get low when I'm done with something. So I, I really, get, yeah, I do. I get it. That's what Anthony Quinn used to say. Whenever he finished a movie, the last day, it was great sadness. Yeah. And he, I asked him why, and he said because I wasn't going to be that person anymore. Oh, the character is gone. Because he lived in the character. He but really. Yeah. Married the character. I wonder if that's why Daniel Day Lewis retired. You know, I think he he wore it heavy. I loved him. I spent some time with him. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a real genius. Yeah, but Anthony Quinn. He has a flip phone. He, he does. I know. <laughs> Anthony Quinn. <laughs> Just like you. Anthony Quinn. Jackie Gleason told me Anthony Quinn didn't act. He marinated. Ah. <laughs> he, he became the person. Yeah. Quinn told me a story. The opening night of Beckett in New York. Him and Laurence Olivier. Anthony Quinn is the king, and Beckett is... And they've gone through rehearsals, and Quinn said, I'm a method actor. Mm. And Larry Olivier is from the English school. You know. And the last scene is Olivier's death scene. I have him killed. So we've rehearsed everything when fine rehearsals. And in the middle of the second act, the Queen is making a speech, and I'm standing, and Olivier is sitting next to me. And he, I believe that he is the king, that he is Beckett. Yeah. And I believe I am the king. Wow. I have become this king. Mm. And Olivier tugs at my sleeve, which ain't in the repeat. And he whispers to me, where do you get a good beer in New York? And he says, I'm stupefied. <laughs> He's Beckett. <laughs> at the end of the Why show... Why did he do it? At the end of the show, I asked him, Why'd you do that? He said, It's all acting. <laughs> I was wondering where you get a good beer in Oh, my God. That's hilarious. In the death scene, he dies, and as he lies on the floor, he has a closing line. The curtain comes down. They're all backstage watching from the wings. Yeah. As soon as the curtain hits the ground, before the, they applaud, he goes... Tomorrow, move that light. <laughs> wow. He's just done this death-defying scene. Wow. Dustin Hoffman told me once when they did Marathon Man. Yeah. There's a scene in Marathon Man. Olivier plays a Nazi, and the war's over, and he's in New York, and he ran a concentration camp. But he's got a bunch of diamonds, and he's trying to sell them, and he's in that the Diamond Center in New York, 48th Street, and yeah. he's walking with the diamonds to go in to try to sell them. But he also has fear that he'll be recognized on the street by someone who was in one of the wow. camps that he ran. So what he has is he has his fear and loathing at the same time. Yeah. He fears these people, but he feels superior to them. 
Wow. He hates somebody. And Dustin Hoffman said, I wasn't in the scene, but I watched him. I watched the, the next day, the rushes, and I said to him, that was brilliant. Your eyes were darting. You were, f- you were fearful and loath. How did you do that? And he said, it's called acting. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love That's helpful to me. I, I'm doing the first acting of my life with uh, Crashing, the show I came to promote, which, by the way, you accurately predicted when I sat here as your guest. You said we'd get a third season, and we did. So I, I soak those stories up. That's because, Peter, there's a genius in you. Oh, because you like think about things, <laughs> worry about things. So I hope that I've helped you toward fatherhood. I don't know you if have. you understand life a little better. But Absolutely. Life is a fountain. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you with a joke. I'll leave you. You think it's funny? Life is a I fountain. I love life is a fountain. That's I don't know story. what that means. That's a story about the guy... He's 18 years old, and he's wondering, what is life about? And he asks this great Swami. And the Swami says, life is a fountain. And for 60 years, this kid travels the world asking <laughs> great leaders, religious leaders, political leaders, what did he mean? None of them know. None of them know. Yeah. 60 years later, the Swami's now 100 years old. He visits the Swami again. He says, Swami, 60 years ago, I came to you. Yes. Asking for the meaning of life. Yes. And you said life is a fountain. And I went all over the world asking religious leaders and politicians, and no one knew what, no one knew what you meant. What did you mean? And the Swami said, life isn't a fountain. <laughs> <laughs> On that note... Yes, let's get you back to your... Two-time Emmy winning? Nominated. Nominated show, which I was a guest on and I loved. I would like to say, sir, you are a genius and you are a legend. Peter, I would love to do this again with you. I've learned a lot. I really appreciated it. We always have the guest say the catchphrase at the end, which is keep it crispy. I'd be honored if you'd say keep it crispy. That's like Rice Krispies. (laughs) Kind of like Rice Krispies. (laughs) That's all they say? No, you just keep it crispy, like keep your life crispy, I guess. Keep it crispy. (laughs) (laughs) That might be my favorite one ever. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. pleasure. I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice game. 